Blog Talk Radio. Radio College Football Analyst Joe Lisi and former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Right, let's rock and roll. Yeah. up. Here's Joe and Corey. Uh, it is great to be back on the air again. We have a great show planned for you today. Nothing but college football. We're about a day away from the NFL draft, but we don't care. We're covering week number one on this show. It doesn't get better than this. We got a great show in store for you today with a great special guest. Big Ten analyst Jerry DiNardo will be joining us at just around 8 o'clock tonight. We'll get Coach DiNardo's take on some of the top teams within the conference. We'll ask him about Ohio State and Michigan. We'll ask him about Wisconsin, Penn State, and Iowa. It does not get better than this if you're a college football fan. I want to take the time now to welcome in my partner, my co-host, former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, when you talk about college football, we're just jumping at the bit. It does not get better than this, does it? I tell you, Joe, this is the great time of year. You know, we're all chomping at the bit. I feel like I'm I'm right in front of my senior season of college football, just anxious to get uh, this season started. We've got some teams that are really uh, looking to contend for championships, and that's what it's all about, Joe. Right now, everybody is prepping to get ready for the season. We've got matchups that are going to help, again, always dictate uh, the pace of this thing. So this is an exciting time. We've got a lot of young players looking to contribute. We've got a lot of veteran guys that are going to come back and they're looking to be better than they were last year. So there's always a lot to prove every season. And this season, 2016, is going to be no different. And it starts off with a bang. With the games that we have slated for week one, uh, you can't help but be excited when you look at what we've got on the table. Corey and I touched on some of the big marquee games. Week number one, there's about really eight to 12 big games uh, this August and September, we broke down North Carolina and Georgia in detail. We, t- we touched on USC and Alabama. And at the end of last week's show, we got into Auburn and Clemson. We're going to touch and restart this show with Auburn and Clemson. We're also going to talk about LSU and Wisconsin and talk about that big matchup in Florida between the Seminoles and the Ole Miss Rebels, another great matchup. Today's show is sponsored by two great sponsors, SickShades.com, SickShades, S-I-K-K, Shades.com. That's, they're made by Eddie Bauer. These are the best sunglasses on the market. If you enter promo code go for the 2 you get $20 off your order. I'm telling you, Corey, I've had my pair. I wore them over the weekend. SickShades, S-I-K-K, Shades.com. If you love sunglasses, that's the place to be. They're made by Eddie Bauer, Jr., I'm telling you, pick, pick them up today. Go online, enter promo code, go for the two, and you get $20 off. The other one is a great shirt company and clothing company, AntonAlexander.com. That's AntonAlexander.com. Custom-made shirts, Corey. Picked up a shirt. I'm telling you, I can't wait for the weekend. I'm going out. 
sporting in style at AntonAlexander.com. That's A-N-T-O-N, Alexander.com. Great clothing for men. You can custom design your own clothes on the website. Check it out today. Corey, I want to talk about this matchup, Auburn and Clemson. It's an interesting matchup because now Clemson has the bullseye on their back. Um, they were in the national championship game last year, almost knocked off Alabama. They had the lead early in the first half. They had a third-quarter lead but couldn't close the door. Some key breakdowns at certain points in the game really costing the Tigers. But from an offensive perspective, this team is loaded with Heisman Trophy front-runner quarterback Deshaun Watson at the helm. This is a dynamic team. Defensively, they take some hits with guys like Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd in their shutdown corner, Mackenzie Alexander moving on to the NFL. Clemson's had Auburn's number over the last couple of the times that they've played. They've outscored Auburn 64 to 43, or just around 10 and a half points per game. But just on paper, give me your thoughts about this intriguing matchup, week number one. I mean, Joe, this is a Tiger battle, to say the least, when you look at what Clemson and Auburn really like to do. They're almost a mirror image of each other. They're very dynamic on the offensive side of the ball, and, and these are two teams, two universities that are accustomed to playing a strong brand of defensive football. So this is going to be another matchup that's going to really put whatever team comes out on top, this will really put that team in a position to have a strong season. Right now the edge has to go to Clemson, just as you mentioned. They come back with the Heisman front runner in Deshaun Watson, and that's where that edge is going to take them when you look at the overall matchup because they do have a stronger quarterback situation than the Auburn Tigers. Auburn has struggled since uh, they've had an opportunity to try to replace their most fabled signal caller of recent late. Uh, and, 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 you know, right now they're still struggling with that. I think it's a good idea for Gus Malzahn to go back and focus his efforts on the offensive side of the ball because what they need to understand is they've got to be more dynamic. And that's the main thing that Clemson has as far as that edge over Auburn. They have a much more dynamic offense, not only because they're talented, because both teams bring a lot of talent to the table, but Clemson has that strong quarterback situation. And Auburn really does also have to take a look at the defensive side of the ball, Joe. Uh, they've got some adjustments when you consider. They've changed coordinators a few times here in the last three seasons. Most recently, the coordinator, Will Muschamp, a former Georgia Bulldog, has taken on the helm at South Carolina, and now he's their head coach. So they're going through the transition of continuing to uh, be flooded at that position and having to change their strategy, change their theory. Uh, they always recruit well, and that's what really is going to show when these teams match up. Clemson, even though they have a lot of talent to replace on defense, that cupboard is far from bare. They do a great job recruiting. Dabo Twinney has always done a great job recruiting since he's had that job at Clemson. So it's really a time for the recruits that they've brought in to continue to mature. That's what the offseason has been about. And I believe both teams are going to be ready. But right now you can't help but give the edge to the Clemson Tigers because Auburn right now has a little bit of growth to do on the offensive side of the ball from the quarterback perspective. And at the same time, they've, they're going through a transition on defense when you look at a new coordinator and Will Muschamp stepping away. Great points that you're bearing up. And you talk about the offense for Clemson last year. I mean, dynamic, 38 points per game and a balanced attack. I mean, they rushed for 224 yards on the ground and passed for 291 yards through the air. Deshaun Watson completed 67% of his passes, 4,104 yards, 
37 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, but he also rushed for 1,105 yards on the ground. He averaged 5.5 yards per carry and did have 12 rushing touchdowns. He has a big play running back in Wayne Gallman, 1,527 yards, averaged over five yards per carry, and did have 13 rushing touchdowns. He's got guys like Artavius Scott coming back. He's got uh, another solid wide receiver in Renfro, who was a freshman last year and and stepped up in the national championship game. And more importantly, Corey, he has his big play wide receiver that came back, Mike Williams, who was hurt last year. Uh, he got hurt in the victory against Appalachian State with a neck fracture. He comes back. This is a dynamic offense. So uh, this is an offense in 2015, too, that if you look at the statistics that they put up, 11 straight games with over 500 yards of total offense. In 11 of the 15 games, they rushed for over 200 yards of offense on their opponents. And in 13 of the 15 games, they completed 60% or more of their passes. The only two games Clemson did not complete 60% or more was in the victory at home in Death Valley against Notre Dame. They completed 47%. And in the playoff victory against Oklahoma, they completed 53%, but they won both of those games. So this is a dynamic offense. The question I want to ask you in terms of this matchup overall is Auburn. Do you feel like, and I'll tell you why, do you feel quickly like like Gus Malzahn is on the hot seat because he came to the Plains as an offensive genius. He was the guy that took Cam Newton in his offensive scheme, led the team to a, a national championship. When Gene Chizik failed, they ran him out of town because they felt Gus Malzahn was really the, the genius behind the program. Well, you look at this rushing offense by Gus Malzahn over the last three years, Corey. In 2013, they averaged 328 yards per game. In 2014, it dipped down to 255 yards a game. Last year, they were at 196. But in their six losses to opponents with a combined record of 59-19 and overall, that offense only rushed for 158 rushing yards per game. I mean, that's a, a far cry from the 328 they put up in 2013. So, I mean, I, I'm just saying, is the heat on Gus Miles on this year, in your opinion? Well, I don't think his job is on the line. I definitely feel like the heat is on him. He does have a lot to prove because he, he came in with the reputation of an offensive genius, and that's not what we've seen here in the last few years out of the Auburn Tigers. They need to be more dynamic from that quarterback from the quarterback position and on the perimeter especially. They need to find a way to get the ball to their playmakers on the outside, and they have not done that. Jeremy Johnson is going to have to really step up. If he's begun, if he's going to be the signal caller, Auburn is going to have to be a lot more than they were in the last couple of years. So I do believe right now the pressure is on Gus Malzahn, but I won't say that his job is on the line because he did take that team to a national championship game. He does have the offensive wherewithal to get them back in that position, but they they have a few loose ends that need to be tied up. So, you know, Auburn recruits well every year. Uh, again, that cupboard is far from bare when you look at that side of the ball as well. Uh, they've got strong defensive players, but these guys need to be coached up and they need to make some plays. So I think uh, he has one more year before he's going to be officially on the hot seat. Uh, Auburn has had a lot of flux at that coaching position, so I, I'm sure they'd rather – be comfortable with Malzahn as opposed to uh, making that a rotation situation. So I think right now Auburn is in a situation where they're going to look in the mirror. They're going to have to dig deep. 
and they're going to have to coach those players up that they've got. Uh, these are the kids that Malzahn decided to bring in, and he knows the talent that they all bring to the table. No one knows better than him, so he's going to have to maximize it and get the most out of what he's brought into the university because if he has another season of subpar football in what is the toughest division in college football, the SEC West, then he's going to find himself in the hot seat probably going into the 2017 year. But right now, I think when you look at because he lost, again, Will Muschamp, a strong defensive coordinator, a strong presence in the conference, a strong recruiter for his team, and at the same time, when you look at the transition, when you uh, come away from a kid like Nick Marshall and put put a lot of weight on the shoulders of a young man like Jeremy Johnson, I think Auburn is really still trying to identify that next great offensive threat. They can run the ball, but they're going to have to be dynamic to do it. So right now, Malzahn should be safe, but it can be a rocky road if he doesn't win games early. It's not going to be easy, I'll tell you that. It's not going to be easy. You're talking about the third defensive coordinator in as many years, and just as they were starting to get acclimated to, to Will Muschamp's scheme, this was a defense that was not dominant in 2015. They gave up 182 rushing yards per game, and in those six losses, they allowed 211 yards on the ground, and they only had 19 sacks last year as a defensive front. That ranked 104th out of 127 teams in the country. So this is a not, not an easy fix for whoever comes in. And in terms of a defensive staff, we know who's there, uh, you know, player-wise. They're going to need some players to step up immediately to make some noise because I really think they need to start fast. And in this week one matchup could make or break their 2016 season in my opinion. But but that's what makes it so special because we're talking about it. We both have mixed opinions on this. It's interesting to see, but uh, th- this is why we love this game. We're going to switch gears, though, right now, Corey. We're going to turn our attention to the Big Ten. we got a special guest in, in Big Ten analyst, uh, Jerry DiNardo. He's going to be joining us. I'm going to get him on the line right now. We're going to ask uh, Coach DiNardo about the big programs in the Big Ten this year, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, Urban Meyer and Ohio State, and some of those other teams like James Franklin, Paul Christ, and, of course, of course, those Iowa Hawkeyes and Kirk Ferentz. We're going to go out to the lines right now and get Coach Jerry DiNardo on. Hello. Coach, Joe Lisi and Corey Allen, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe and Corey. How are you guys doing? Doing well. College football. College football is – spring practice is over, Coach. This is the long off season that we have have to talk about, breaking down week number one and all the spring camps that we had uh, an opportunity to watch. I want to start off – I want to talk about Wisconsin. It's a sort of a, a program, an enigma with, with head coach Paul Christ. You look at last year overall, a solid performance. Offensively, they performed adequately, especially in the passing game. They had their highest total in terms of passing offense, 224 yards a game, their most since 2011. But you look at the rushing attack overall last year, only 150 yards rushing on the ground. You look at the previous couple of seasons for Wisconsin, a run-heavy offense in 2014. 
They rushed for 320 yards per game. And in 2013, it was 283 yards a game. And in those three losses to Alabama, Northwestern, and Iowa, they only rushed for 33 yards per game. In your opinion, Coach, do you see this rushing attack catching storm into the 2016 season? Yeah, I, I think it improves, guys. But let me let me go back to last year. You know, Paul Crist, uh, you know, he loves coaching offense. He loves coaching the pass game. And I'd suggest to you, if if he wasn't the head coach last year, because of his expertise with the pass game, they wouldn't have won 10 games. Now, the rushing game is an issue. And as you so adequately laid, laid it out, Joe, uh, you can't win big games unless you can run the football. Paul knows that. They were banged up in the offensive line. They played a lot of young guys. In fact, going into the bowl game, seven of the best ten, so the two deep, were either freshmen or redshirt freshmen in the bowl game. And so they're going to be better in the run game. Clement's back. I saw Clement practice in the spring, so they're going to be back. But ultimately – they have to be a balanced attack if they're going to win the West. They can't be one-dimensional on either side, run or pass. So I think it was good news that Paul knows the passing game the way he did last year. But I guarantee you he knows they have to run the ball better. Great point, Coach. And you look at the quarterback positions. Joel Stavi moves on to the NFL. I mean, is Bart Houston the guy, in your opinion, that should be the starter week number one against LSU? Yeah, I'll, I'll be shocked if, if Bart isn't the starter. Um, you know, he's got all the experience. He's the older guy. Horner Brook is the young lefty who was committed to Paul when Paul was at Pittsburgh. And then when Paul came to Wisconsin, uh, Horner Brook came with him. Uh, but I'd be surprised if Bart isn't the starter. I think Horner Brook is absolutely the future. Uh, you know, this Wisconsin's gonna, Wisconsin to LSU is going to be a tough go, especially with Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, leaving Wisconsin this year, going to LSU. And a lot of Dave Aranda's defensive scheme is, is based on matchups, and usually you have to study a bunch of tape to, to, to figure out the best matchups. Well, Dave Aranda's been at Wisconsin for three years. I think he already knows the best matchups that he'll have when he's, when he's calling defenses with LSU. I agree with that, and I brought that up, too, that LSU has a huge advantage, not just from an offensive perspective, but even defensively because Dave Aranda led that defense last year. I mean, 13 points per game, 95 yards rushing per game for Wisconsin, and they gave up only 176 yards through the air. Wisconsin's defense only allowed seven passing touchdowns in the 2015 season, all because of Dave Aranda's scheme. And he does have a read on, on the scout team's for Wisconsin. He can tell that challenge three deep. So I agree with you on that level. I want to turn my attention to Iowa. They're a team that surprised everyone last year. I was on them early on, but I think as a whole, they surprised a lot of people throughout the season. They lose some key components of that offense. They lose Jordan Canzari. They lose their center, Austin Blythe. Can Iowa still come back and bounce back and surprise some people this year? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question. They're, they're going to be favored for the West. You know, Bethard is back. I mean, this is a team that – now, you know, watching them practice, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting watch. They're always a great practice team, fundamentally uh, physical, efficient at practice. And that's how they were 
when I watched them last week. Uh, but I also think they're a highly motivated team. You know, you go 12-0, and 0, and then you lose a heartbreaker against Michigan State, and you get blown out against Stanford. You know, there's a fine line there. You know, we're going to focus on the 0-2. We're going to focus on the 12-0. The and 0, And I just think this team mindset is really good. Now, I, I think to go 12-0 and 0 again is probably an unreal expectation. But to get to the championship game, to perhaps win the championship game, to perhaps be in the, be in the hunt with the playoffs, if they don't get in the playoffs, to win a bowl game. So I don't necessarily see this team. This team could be 12-2 and two next year, but they could lose a regular season game, but win a championship game or win a bowl game. So that's the kind of team I think Iowa is going to be, that they're motivated, they know they didn't like the way it finished, but they're proud of 12-0. and 0. I think they got their heads in the right spot. It's a great job at Kirk Ferentz last year. I mean, it was a tough call. I think if Iowa, in my opinion, would have won the Big Ten championship game and won, went to the playoff, I think, in my opinion, I would have nominated him over Dabo Sweeney as coach of the year, Kirk Ferentz, but a great job in Iowa City for what he did with the Hawkeyes last year. When you look at Penn State overall, Christian Hackenberg moves on. James Franklin now has basically his guys in Happy Valley. Can Penn State be a better team without Christian Hackenberg? Well, it's possible. You know, they're they're going to be in an offense that James is more comfortable with, if you will. Uh, you know, it reminds me of Brady Hoke taking over at Michigan, and part of the deal of him taking the job was that they would run the spread and play Denard. And that worked a little bit. They went to the Sugar Bowl, but it also set them back two or three years. They finally got into the, the, the pro-style offense, the West Coast offense, and they fire Al Borges. They never really get settled offensively. I, and I think being in the spread got Michigan to the Sugar Bowl, but probably also helped Brady get fired. So now Penn State's in the same issue. So does James get a pass for the last couple of years? I don't think so. And so uh, they, they, they've got their guys now at quarterback. They want to run the spread, but they're in the East Division. And in the East Division, at some point, you have to block Michigan State's defensive line, Ohio State's defensive line, and Michigan's defensive line. And until they can do that, you know, they're going to be an average-to-good team going to average-to-good bowls. They're not going to compete for the East. That's a great point. And the last question I want to ask you, Coach, before I kick you over to Corey, Michigan State, are they still a front-runner in terms of the Big Ten championship game? They lose their all-time leader in terms of wins in Connor Cook. He moves on to the NFL. Can they get it done with the two guys they have there in East Lansing? <laughs> You know, they're going to evolve a little bit offensively. You know, it's really interesting. The last time Michigan State played Alabama, they came back to campus and they said, we've got to get more athletic in the offensive line. Lesson learned. And they did because they couldn't block Alabama's front last time they played Alabama. This year, in the semifinal, in the Cotton Bowl, I, I think what Alabama showed anyone who was paying attention or watching that – the integration of the spread in the West Coast offense is really the nowaday offense. And I think that that's the way Mark D'Antonio is moving. He's been moving that way in the last couple of years. But I think what, what happened 
with Michigan State against Alabama is that, you know, they just couldn't generate enough of a running attack. They lined up in some spread formations. So can they compete? They certainly can compete for the East. It, it's going to be – it could be each team knocking each other off. But I don't think this will be one of Mark's best teams. Uh, but I never underestimate Mark D'Antonio because when you do that, you're usually wrong. <laughs> well, that makes sense to me. Coach Corey Allen joining the conversation. I want to thank you for joining us today. I did want to keep us in the East as we look at some of these powerhouse teams that are really uh, thriving at the top of that Eastern division, uh, Ohio State and Michigan, starting out with the Wolverines and what Coach Harbaugh has brought to the forefront as far as all of these expectations and you know, all of this momentum. Uh, can you identify, we're looking at this uh, Michigan team going into the season, but we're still trying to figure out how are they going to play at the quarterback position. What do you think uh, Michigan is going to present as far as quarterback play? Do you think O'Corn is going to still have the job? Or are they going to continue to rely on his arm? What are your thoughts as far as competition at that spot? Yeah, you know, I, had, I didn't see them in the spring, Corey. I watched the spring game. I don't know that I got a lot of information uh, from that. Uh, I, I think, you know, obviously whoever they settle a quarterback will be a first-year starter and can be an efficient quarterback. But, Corey, I have to tell you, you know, when Jim took the job, I said this is a two-step process. Step number one is okay. beat the teams that you have better players than. That's what they weren't doing when Rich and Brady were there, okay? And you could make an argument that that's exactly what he did. You could even make an argument maybe he lost to Utah, who maybe didn't have as good players. But let's forget about Utah. Michigan won every game that they should have won because they had better players in all those teams. Now they have to compete against Michigan, uh, Michigan State, obviously, Michigan State and Ohio State. And, and that's the next step. Now here's where I'm going with this, Corey. I don't know about the quarterback. But I know if you want to win the Eastern Division in the Big Ten, your offensive line <laughs> has to block. If you're at Michigan, you have to block Michigan State and Ohio State. If you're at Ohio State, you have to block Michigan and Michigan State. Those are the best defensive lines in the country. So quarterback, important. Offensive line, more important. And I do think this, Corey, again, to my point about Alabama's offense, which I think is state-of-the-art right now, I think if Michigan chooses to play this game in a box, they will beat all the teams they beat last year, but they'll come up short against Michigan State and Ohio State because you can't play those guys in the box because all five offensive linemen can't be right every down, whereas if you get in the spread and the left tackle misses a block but the ball's going to the perimeter on the right side, there's some room for error. That's true. I agree with that, Coach. I think he's going to be extremely creative when he has to be, but right now their strength is going to be in between the tackles, and I think he's going to try to lean as much as possible on that defense. So I agree with you that he's going to uh, slowly work the quarterback in, whoever it might be. Uh, uh, transitioning over to the other big school, uh, of course we've got Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeyes. They obviously have a lot of talent to replace Coach, and they still have – a veteran signal caller, J.T. Barrett, looking to take that helm. He's a proven kid. He's a proven commodity. And that team is never going to be short on talent as far as how they recruit and how they develop players. How are we going to define success for Ohio State this year under Urban Meyer with all the pressure? Their spring game, they just had another 100,000 or so to come to attend. They have the expectation and the talent. Are they under pressure? Can J.T. Barrett stand up this year? Well, you know, you're always going to be under pressure at Ohio State. You know, 
when 100,000 people show up at the spring game and you have all the resources. And, Corey, remember this. Ohio State is this kind of job. It doesn't matter what anybody else does, meaning the competition. You can still be better than Whereas if you're at a have-not uh, – and the have in your conference or haves are struggling, you get a chance to be upward mobile. Ohio State always can be the best. They have more resources than Michigan and more resources than Michigan State. I went to spring practice. Best spring practice I saw. Not because they have the best players, because Urban is a master motivator. What he does every day is he makes every day different. Not that, not that they're out there having fun, but he's constantly challenge, challenging his team. And I, and I tweeted that after practice. I said, most impressive practice I've been to this year. And, of course, someone tweeted back to me, and it was obviously not an Ohio State fan, saying, <laughs> well, well, that's what happens when you, came in, when you come in third in the Big Ten because the person was insinuating Michigan State won the conference, which they did, and Iowa went to the championship game. And I tweeted back you know what? There's probably a lot of truth to that. So my point in saying all this, Corey, is this is a highly talented, young, highly motivated team, and I don't bet against a team highly motivated with all the talent. They'll make young mistakes. Hopefully, the Oklahoma game is a great game. They don't have to, yeah. they don't have to beat Oklahoma to win the Big Ten or the national championship. But man, is that a great gauge? I agree with that, Coach. That, that's really going to be a good barometer for us to see how Urban Meyer is motivating that young talent to perform. I got one final question, kind of a catch-all, before I turn you back over to Joe. If you had to look at a newcomer to the conference, a guy that we don't necessarily know his name completely just yet, who would be a player that we should watch out for coming into this season from any particular team on either side of the ball? Give me a guy that maybe I need to learn his name early. Oh, boy, you got me there, Corey. Uh, no, <laughs> honestly, nobody really jumps out at me. I, I'd have to go back and, and look at my notes, uh, and there might be somebody obvious that I should be saying, but, you know, I, I, I'd really be guessing. Uh, I watch so much of it. And, uh, Have you got a favorite? Time of year, any favorites? Eh, no, not really. Not, 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 not really. The, running, the young running back from Ohio State, uh, the kid from Michigan, you know, jumps out a little bit at me. You know, C.J. Beathard, but you know him. But the, the freshman running back, uh, what's his name? Mike is his first name. He, he's from Cass Tech, and he was the one that got upset when, when the running back coach at Ohio State left. And uh, yes. I, 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 can't, I can't remember his name. Probably him. Probably We're going to rely on Joe. <laughs> we'll rely yeah, on Joe, 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 Joe knows all the names and stats. Help me out. <laughs> Joe, throw me a – Throw me a light on the or something here. Help me out. I'll I'll find out. You might have got me on that one now. I don't know. I have to do my research. I don't know now off the top of my head. um, Good deflection, Corey. Thank you. Good good deflection, Corey. I appreciate the help, Corey. Coach, I will say this. It's always a pleasure talking college football with you. We greatly appreciate you coming on to the show. I mean, your insight about the spring games and really from a coaching perspective because you were a big-time coach at LSU. You did it at Indiana, and you even did it in Vanderbilt. Respect the way you played the game and, and more importantly, coached it. We love you on the show. Love to have you on again a little bit later in the year. Thank you so much for your time today. Anytime, Joe and Corey. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Coach.
That was Big Ten analyst, Coach Jerry DiNardo. Corey, you stumped everybody with that question. Unbelievable. You even <laughs> got me on that question. That's okay. It's all right. We'll figure it out. I'm not omniscient. I'm not all-knowing on everything. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. But um, great insight on what he said about about Iowa. You know, uh, his insight about Urban Meyer and Ohio State. And, and more. the one thing that I took out of that, too, not to bet against Mark D'Antonio or Michigan State, but in his eyes, not the strongest team that they've fielded in recent years. And that's important because they lose Connor Cook. They do have some inexperience at the running back position. L.J. Scott, in my opinion, is, it will be the go-to guy this year. But inexperience at the quarterback position. They have O'Connor. They have big play guys. But they, they lose some guys on that offensive line, Jack Allen, and that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a, a question mark heading into the early part of the 2016 season. So, I mean, Conklin's gone as well. So that offensive line last year took a while to gel. And even though they might be making the transition from more of a, a pounded between the tackles offense to a more spread, one thing is certain: you need that offensive line cohesiveness in order to get some yards, you know, on the in the rushing attack. And that's the one yeah. thing I took away from from his insight. Your thoughts about what he had to tell us? Well, just piggybacking off what you mentioned, Joe, about Michigan State, Coach D'Antoni definitely has his work cut out for him. He's got a lot of talent himself that he has to replace, a lot of new kids to step into some some shoes that are going to be hard to fill. So this is really going to be a great time. His reputation is known as a hard worker. So the one thing we can count on is those kids are going to be prepared. They'll know what to do. You know, the question is, can they physically handle the moment? So, you know, Michigan State definitely – They've got a lot in front of them as far as trying to identify the team, identify the next group of great players, and see if they're going to be ready to compete in another tough division when you look at the Eastern Division and the Big Ten. But one thing I also got, well, a few things I got from Coach DiNardo that he mentioned, especially when I think about him talking about Michigan and Harbaugh, just the fact that he thinks it's a two-step process, and I really like how he identified that. Beating the teams that you're better than is a key component to any team's success. Uh, you have to go out and play to the level of your talent. And a lot of times uh, you look around this country and these teams, these young men don't always play up to their, their capacity. And that's disappointing, not just for the fans, but for the coaches as well. So for Harbaugh to come in and reestablish, you know, playing to the whistle, playing for uh, Big Blue, playing for Michigan Love, you know, obviously it, it, it's paid some dividends here early. So beating the teams you're supposed to beat because you're more talented is always going to be a tough road, but it's one that you have to take on uh, head first. And the second thing he mentioned was just being in a position to compete for a championship, and I think that's really what will define success for Michigan, whether it be this season or next season. Harbaugh isn't there to win games. He's there to win championships. So he really wants to put uh, the Michigan Wolverines to the forefront, and I think Coach DiNardo really uh, laid a statement down when he mentioned that Harbaugh is probably on track with that process and another thing that I really enjoyed uh, hearing Coach Donato talk about was the Ohio State situation. And Urban Meyer, you know, that cupboard again, never being bare. That talent is ready to perform. And he motivates those guys in different ways every day. You know, challenging those guys with change is always going to be a great way to motivate your players. You know, it keeps them on their toes. It keeps the competition level extremely high. And it just puts that coach in a position to he, he can help dictate the pace of that team. He can help build that momentum as this season comes on. When you look at the schedules in the Big Ten, 
you know, just being honest with you, Joe, most of the teams in the Big Ten are going to look at the week one and week two matchups, and they're just going to warm it up as the season goes on. You do have LSU, Wisconsin stepping out. I think Rutgers is taking on a pretty tough matchup. Uh, one of the teams is also maybe facing a Fresno State. So you do have some of the teams in the Big Ten that are facing some tough opponents, but most of the Big Ten teams, even the powerhouse teams, are really going to have a chance to develop young talent, uh, get their coaching uh, theories in place. And by the time week three rolls around, those teams are really going to be very strong because they have played a few games. They'll have gotten the foundation together. And they're all coached extremely well, and, and, and that's really what's going to lead these teams to success. Yeah, I heard his intensity when he talked about Ohio State Oklahoma. That game is on September 17th, but he jumped up a notch. He's like, you know, I heard him, Ohio, Ohio State, Oklahoma. He was like jumping out of his seat. He's right. It doesn't get better than that. I mean, that game is in Norman. I mean, that's a marquee matchup. So we'll see how that plays out a little bit later in the year, but we'll stay with the big games. He did, I did ask him that question, LSU and Wisconsin. That was a, a big, big matchup, week number one. And he had, he had mentioned about Dave Aranda being the defensive coordinator now at LSU and how it gives them an edge. And I said that the last time. I think they have a big edge in this matchup. And I think when you break this game down, that's the one thing when I look at this game overall that I look at LSU defensively, they will be much better than they were in 2015. This was not your typical LSU defense last year. They gave up 122 rushing yards per game. That was solid. But they gave up 224 passing yards. That was their highest since prior to the 2008 season. They they, they were opportunistic. They were plus eight in turnover margin and plus seven in turnover margin at, at home. But more importantly, on the road, they were negative. And you need to win big ball games on the road or on a neutral field site by being able to run the football and create turnovers. And they did not do that last year. But they have a big, big, big advantage this year with Dave Aranda. Now, I want to ask you, LSU overall, Corey, you look at their three losses last year. They came in three in a row. The, the Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss in those three losses, they were outscored in the first half 55-24. to 24. Your offense has to play catch-up. You're not going to win big ball games like that. I want to get your thoughts about overall LSU's performance last year. LSU was a little bit too easy to read last year, Joe. They, they really uh, they came out with Leonard Fournette hard and heavy. And most teams were, were at least trying to prepare for that. Leonard Fournette obviously had a great deal of success in the early parts of the season. But as the season wore on uh, and LSU was facing uh, more difficult opponents, people began to prepare for him a lot better. And they began to line up eight, nine guys in the box. And that really put a lot of pressure, not just on the running game, but on those young quarterbacks. And I think the biggest uh, component to LSU success this year is going to be fighting that same battle. Uh, you've got the best running back in the country on paper. Right now, Leonard Fournette doesn't take a back seat to anyone when you consider ball carriers in the NCAA. So you have that as an advantage, but it, it's not a secret. This kid's been great since he stepped on campus. So LSU has been fighting that because you want to use your bell cow, but at the same time, if everyone knows it's coming, you know, then sometimes it, it's not always going to work. So to make a long story short, Joe, LSU is really going to have to prepare 
to have a lot of success on third down. And really, they're also going to have to take a close look at their play action passing. They're going to need great and efficient play out of their quarterback position more than anything. And, you know, regardless of who they have under center, you know, LSU is still going to have to convert on third down, on third and long, on second and long. They're going to have to find ways to move the ball down the field using the perimeter because uh, it, it would be foolish for any team, whether it's Wisconsin, Alabama, Auburn, any team that's on LSU's schedule, it would be foolish for you not to assign at least eight, nine guys to the box and really take a focused effort at Leonard Fournette. I mean, he's a premier running back. He has all of the tools. And when you have a special talent like that, it's really hard for the defense not to focus on him. So for LSU coming into the 2016 year, they really need to develop the play-action game because passing the ball in running situations is going to be imperative to lighten up the load on Fournette because he only needs a crease. So they, only, they should only have to do it once or twice a game to keep the defense honest, and he'll supply the rest of that work. But it's really going to be a great story to tell, and uh, I'm anxious to see how they start the year off when they kick it off against Wisconsin. Great points. You're talking about an LSU offense in 2015 that averaged 32 points per game. Run-heavy offense. They pounded it with Leonard Fournette. They averaged 257 yards on the ground. Only passed for 179 yards through the air. Brandon Harris, 53% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. But they relied solely on Leonard Fournette. I mean, 1,953 yards. He averaged 6.5 yards per carry. 22 rushing touchdowns, but the difference is in those three losses, like I mentioned, to Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, they failed to come back in the second half as well, and they failed to run the football effectively. In those three losses overall, I mean, this was an offense that rushed for 99 yards per game. I mean, Leonard Fournette Fournette was shut down in those three games. And when you're getting outscored 55 to 24 in the first half, you have to play catch up. And guess what? In those three losses, they only averaged 15 points per game, 17 points less than their season average. They were not even close. So I think you saw the effects of, and I've said this before, sometimes even if you want to run the football, it's not how many times you throw, it's when you throw. And that fell on Cam Cameron, the offensive coordinator, because of his inability to play action on first and second down, especially in that loss to Alabama. You knew that Alabama and Kirby Smart were going to load the box to force Brandon Harris to throw over the top. That game was 10-10 at half. In the second half, Brandon Harris came out. He threw a key interception that allowed Alabama to jump up 17 to 10. Cam Cameron never went back to the passing attack down <laughs> the deep middle of the field. And it cost him because he wanted to rely on Leonard Fournette. He played scared. He coached scared. But you saw that bowl game. That bowl game against Texas Tech, they opened it up. You saw Brandon Harris play action on first and second down. You saw him attack the deep middle of the field. That You saw him attack not just the deep middle on post patterns, but they attacked over the middle on dig routes with the tight end and underneath routes with the, with the running backs. That's what you need to do because then you loosen up the front seven, and then that opens up the running lane. So it's not throwing 50 times a game. 
You know that, Corey. It's when you call play action pass or when you call passing on first and second down that can loosen up those linebackers and defensive tackles to force them off the line of scrimmage and then the running lane's open, right? You know what, Joe? You just made a point that was so valid. I mean, these are the two most important people in Baton Rouge this offseason because it's going to squarely fall on their shoulders. Leonard Fournette is going to be Leonard Fournette. There's no denying him. You can't stop what's going to happen. But between uh, the quarterback and Cam Cameron, the offensive coordinator, whether it be Brandon Harris or I'm not even sure who's going to be under center this season, LSU's got some decisions to make because they have to be better. Making plays as far as who's going to be under center and calling plays as far as putting these players in a position to be successful. The one thing that we all know is LSU is never short on talent. Uh, We've got the NFL draft coming up here pretty soon, Joe, and LSU is always getting – offensive linemen and defensive linemen taken early every season, every draft, every year. And this won't be any different. So you can never cry, uh, again, a a bare cupboard when you're speaking about Louisiana State. So the talent is there for Cam Cameron. He has all of his NFL experience. He understands how to develop quarterbacks, and he hasn't done that at LSU. And that's the main reason why they haven't uh, uh, competed for a championship in that Western division because the games that they lost, they're all division games. These are all division opponents. These are all teams that, you know, they see on a consistent basis. So, again, there are no secrets in the Western division. If you're going to run the ball, everybody knows it. So, Cam Cameron, as that offensive coordinator, he's going to have to do a better job for less miles and put that team in more successful positions, especially, again, on the running down. He's going to have to find ways to stretch that defense out because they're loading that box up against his top-tier running back, and you can't do that against uh, the SEC West. Uh, night in and night out. So great points that you made that I really wanted to piggyback on. The talent is there at LSU, but they've got to take advantage of, you know, putting the players in positions to be successful because what they did last year definitely wasn't enough. You're absolutely right, and thank you, partner. I mean, I think we both feel that this is a dangerous team. I mean, you said it. Each year they have top ten talent across the board, one of those – Offensive lineman Alexander, I have him ranked second overall in terms of the guards, uh, in terms of what he was able to do. I, I mean, because, and here's the thing, people, and not to get on the NFL draft, but I'm a big component. Everybody talks Leonard Fournette. Everybody talks Christian McCaffrey, you know, on the next level, Davin Cook. You've got to look at the hogs opening the holes for those guys. And that's the thing. I mean, Leonard Fournette's a dynamic running back. But there are guys that are in the trenches opening up the holes for those type of guys. And they're playing for an offensive line coach in Les Miles, who who is, uh, you know, one of the best guys in terms of teaching technique and in intensity. So why wouldn't you want to take a guy like that in the draft? I mean, that's why I say, you know, this draft is not – Hard. I mean, a lot of these scouts make it harder because they're looking for that one diamond in the rough. Everybody wants to take that one guy that nobody knows or that, that, you know, I found this guy. Meanwhile, if you just took a handful of solid guys that performed throughout their careers in college at an elite level, like the SEC West, like the (laughs) Big Ten, I mean, I, I mean, really. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it's a joke, but I don't want to go down that route. There's a college football show. <laughs> We're keeping it there. I'm going to keep focus right here. But I do want to turn my attention to one thing. I mentioned 224 passing yards per game, and John Chavis was a big part of that. I mean, I feel he one of the best defensive coordinators in the game last year. 
He moved on to Texas A&M, and, and that defense took a hit. Uh, you know, in terms of that lockdown corner, uh, they had it for years with Morris Claiborne and, and guys like Patrick Peterson. But to give up 224 passing yards for a game, their most since prior to 2008, is an alarming statistic. Even more importantly is this, Corey, three losses, three losses, they gave up 233 rushing yards per game on the ground. 433 rushing yards per game. Not the same dominant defensive front that we've seen in recent years, right? No, you're exactly right. And when you lose a guy like a John Chavis, Joe, I mean, that's really – that had a great impact on not just, you know, the coaching staff, but the players. They had a great relationship with him. He's the one who recruited all of those defensive front players and those secondary players. So, you know, if – I wasn't surprised that they took a small step back on defense. It was a little bit more than I anticipated. But at the same time, they they lost a lot in the locker room uh, when they lost John Chavis. So, you know, he's a talented guy. He's a talented coach. And, you know, they're going to have to move on this season. They won't have that crush. They won't have that as an excuse. Uh, Obviously, Les Miles understands that, and I'm sure Dave Aranda does as well. So, you know, they have a schedule that won't change. That's the beauty of the SEC. Uh, regardless of what you feel like you deserve or regardless of what you think you may be entitled to, that schedule is going to tell you who you really are, and it's not going to take any shorts. It's not going to uh, bear any mercy. you got to show up every Saturday, and you better be ready because you might get hit in the mouth. So LSU understands the position they're in. Every year, Les Miles is on the hot seat. He rides it comfortably, and that's one thing I admire about the Mad Hatter. Uh, He does his job year in and year out. He forgets the last year. He just moves on to the next. And that's really not a bad way to go about your business because uh, it only takes one season to help propel you into the next five or six years. So I think the fans at Louisiana State value what they have in Coach Miles. I think they do want better. They want more success. They want better results than 2015 gave them. So this is an interesting time. Uh, He's always under pressure, but he performs under that pressure like no other coach I've seen. So this will be a great uh, opportunity for him to step up again in the face of some adversity. Uh, He's got a great uh, bunch of guys, a a talented group of kids, and he just needs to continue to shape and mold that into what he wants it to be. And right now everyone understands that running attack is is his main, Jane, so he just has to work around that. And I think he's got the tools to be successful, Joe. I agree with you, uh, and, and I we mentioned Dave Aranda and all that. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a dominant, dominant defense by the end of the year. I'd hate to be playing LSU a little bit later in the year uh, because I think from an athletic standpoint, he'll get the most out of this team. I mentioned turnover margin for LSU. They were plus seven last year, plus eight at home, minus one on the road. Uh, we'll see how they do this year in Death Valley. They, they're going to need to step up in big ball games and be opportunistic. So when you look at Wisconsin overall, I brought up the rushing offense. It was their lowest total since prior to 2008, their highest passing total since 2011 when Russell Wilson was the quarterback. We brought up the the rushing lack of production in their three losses with Iowa, Bama, and Northwestern, 33 yards per game, far less than their season average of 150. But this is a rushing offense that that hasn't been the same. They had Melvin Gordon a couple of years ago with a heavy offensive line. Coach DiNardo tur- uh, hit that point that feels that there'll be a much better cohesive unit this year, and they got to get healthy, and they really have to gel week number one against LSU because look for Les Miles and the staff to have this team 
into this ball game. That's the one thing. It's a rematch of 2014 where LSU came from a second half deficit and won that ball game 28 to 24 in Arlington. We'll see this game is played in Lambeau Field. Before we go, though, I mentioned the secondary of Wisconsin, Corey. This was a, a defensive front under the radar by Dave Aranda. I mean, I, I said it earlier, 13 points per game, better than Alabama's in terms of scoring defense. They, they ranked fourth in rushing defense, 95 yards per game. And they only gave up 173 passing yards right in there, 175 passing yards per game, and only allowed seven passing touchdowns overall, which over a 13-game uh, period or span is unbelievable. It's less than one a game. And to me, spread offensive attack, I mean, that's unheard of to only allow seven passing touchdowns. It shows me that they they force teams to methodically work down the field. But you look at those three losses, they gave up 177 yards on the ground to Alabama, Northwestern, and Iowa. So, it, again, I, I always say this, too, and I, I want to get your take. If you're able to run the football and shut down the run effectively, more times than not, you're going to win ball games, especially if you're creating turnovers. And if you have that recipe on the road, again, that's a recipe to win ball games. We've seen Alabama do it, run the football effectively, shut down the run and be opportunistic, recipe for success. Well, Joe, I, just, I think you just basically listed the football Bible. That's what the game is all about. I mean, those three metrics are going to be key anytime a team is going to look at you know, the previous season or how they want to define success moving forward. Running the ball always is going to be essential. It gives you a chance to do a number of things. You're beating up that other defense. You're chewing up the clock. You're building momentum, and that team that you're playing against is really getting tired. You know, and if you can play defense and you can stop the run, obviously you're doing the exact opposite. You're breaking their spirit, Joe. You're taking away all of the preparation that they put in for an entire week trying to get past you. And if you can stop the run, especially early in the game, you know, that can really rattle a team, especially one with a young quarterback situation. The last thing, Joe, as far as, um, you know, just being motivated and, and being re- able to compete, I, I, I think I think that's really going to be essential. I think really, you know, you look at what Wisconsin is faced with, you know, you look at even just look at the Big Ten as a whole. They've got a lot of challenges, but I do think this is going to be a great time for them to take on this opportunity. They're going to uh, play a strong team at Lambeau Field, as you mentioned. So I, I feel like this is a great opportunity for them to take on a, a very difficult obstacle when you consider LSU coming to town. But uh, I'm excited, Joe. I'm looking forward to it. And I think uh, this is going to be one of the matchups that's going to really be uh, key when all the metrics come to a fold at the end of the year. I can't wait to see this matchup in Lambeau Field. I wish the game was played a little bit later in the year so we could see the, you know, the breath coming out and we could see, you know, real football. But I'll take it, you know, week number one, Labor Day, yes, LSU and Wisconsin doesn't get better than that. Last game we're going to touch on tonight, Corey, a, a great matchup, Florida State and Ole Miss. Now, I mean, it doesn't get better than that matchup. You got an ACC front runner in, in Florida State with a dynamic offense led by quarterback Sean McGuire and possibly another Heisman front runner in Dalvin Cook. It's interesting because some people love Dalvin Cook over Fournette. Others in the South, such as yourself, you really feel like Leonard Fournette is the guy, but you can't take away what Dalvin Cook has done, especially last year. Now, 1,693 rushing yards. He averaged 7.3 
yards per carry, 19 touchdowns. He does have shoulder surgery that he just had a few weeks ago, and we have to see how he progresses in the summer and, more importantly, as we inch closer to this matchup. But on the other side, you have gunslinger Chad Kelly and the Ole Miss Rebels, the blue-collar kids from Oxford. I mean, Hugh Freeze gets the most out of his team, 10-3 overall last year, coming off a dominating bowl victory over Oklahoma State. Quick thoughts about, just on paper, what this game signifies to you. I think this is really going to be a strong test for Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is replacing a lot of talent. Chad Kelly's going to have a lot on his shoulders. Florida State's replacing a lot of talent, too, but they'd have no problem replacing talent. I think they've been a little bit more consistent in their recruiting. Right now, Ole Miss is coming off of maybe three or four strong recruiting seasons. Overall, Joe, I think this is a tough matchup for Mississippi. I think they're going to run into a team in Florida State that's very well seasoned and looking to reestablish their train of success and take that ACC crown away from Clemson. Meanwhile, Mississippi is going to have to battle all year long. And it's just going to start with this one here uh, against the Seminoles. So uh, they've got a tough road to hold. It's going to be a lot of pressure, not just on the head coach, but Chad Kelly is going to see a lot of blitz, and he's going to see a lot of man-to-man. And they're going to switch it up on him because they understand what he does best. And he takes a lot of chances, but you really have to be careful against Florida State. They'll pick you off. They'll take it back to the house, and the next thing you know, it's a 14-point swing. So great matchup. I really feel like Florida State has the edge just because of the talent on both sides. I think Ole Miss is going to be strong offensively, but they're going to have to do a tough, uh, a tough job in the trenches to stop even Dalvin Cook with one shoulder because that's the kind of kid that's destined to play on Sundays, and he won't let a, a minor setback slow him down. Great point all around. You're talking about a Florida State team that lost three games last year to Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Houston. Those teams had a combined overall record of 31 and 11 overall. This is a Florida State offense that averaged 31 points per game in 2015. They averaged 168 yards on the ground, 255 passing yards per game. Sean McGuire is the guy this year. He completed 59% of his passes, 11 touchdowns. Dalvin Cook, 19 touchdowns on the ground. But it's the wide receiver core, in my opinion, that is possibly one of the strongest in the ACC and in the country, for that matter. Guys like Travis Rudolph, Kermit Whitfield, and Jesus Wilson, who combined for 174 receptions, 2,336 yards, and 16 touchdowns in 2015, going up against an Ole Miss secondary, Corey, that allowed 258 passing yards per game in 2015. That was their most most since prior, okay, to 2008. In their three losses, you want to talk about this. Ole Miss won 10 games last year by 27 points per game. Their three losses to Florida, Memphis, and Arkansas, they lost by 14 points per game. They allowed 365 passing yards in those three losses and allowed 13 passing touchdowns with only forcing one interception. Do you see a matchup problem week number one against this Florida State offense? I tell you what, the eye in the sky doesn't lie, Joe. And if Ole Miss doesn't see that train coming down the track, it's going to hit them in the mouth. So hopefully they can create some pressure. Hopefully they can create some confusion in the secondary and allow you know their guys to be in some positions. But with what Florida State brings back at the perimeter as far as the wide receiver, the skill set position, and a strong quarterback in Sean McGuire, it, it, it doesn't look good for Mississippi. I'll say that much. 
<laughs> You're going out and making predictions already. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> I haven't given a prediction yet. I'm not giving a prediction on this one. I just see a matchup problem. Now, Florida State has some issues, too. They had three losses in 2015, like I mentioned. They only allowed 149 yards on the ground, but in those three losses, they allowed – 221 rushing yards per game. This is an Ole Miss offense last year that rushed for 183 yards on the ground and passed for 334 yards through the air. Chad Kelly, dynamic. He completed 65% of his passes, 4,042 yards, 31 touchdowns, and he also added 10 rushing touchdowns in the 2015 season. Now, Ole Miss was very solid in run support last year. They only gave up 127 rushing yards per game. It was their best total since 2008 when they only allowed 86 rushing yards per game. Now, a big a component of that was defensive tackle Robert Condici. Him and his brother Denzel Condici now have moved on, so there's big holes to fill on the de- defensive side of the ball and that's something that right. if you're an Ole Miss fan, you want to make sure that you sew up week number one against this Florida State offense. Any thoughts about that? Well, you know what, Joe? The main thing that they've got to do is, just as you mentioned, try to find some kids looking to step up and fill those holes because if they don't have someone uh, ready to take on that challenge, then uh, they're going to get exposed because, uh, as we all know, uh, the kids from Tallahassee uh, aren't going to pull any punches. Once again, they're going to step up and they're going to look to take advantage of the situation. They've watched the film. They've watched the tape. They understand who's coming back. And, and they know where Ole Miss is going to be young and inexperienced. So this is going to be a great matchup for both teams because this is a time where Florida State can, you know, take a challenge and win a game that maybe on paper they're supposed to win because they have the most talent. At the same time, if Ole Miss wants to be special this year, they're going to have to win some games that, you know, maybe on paper they're not supposed to win. So, you know, just the first of many great matchups, uh, many that I look forward to and talking about. So this will just be the precursor to a great season. And I think uh, e- either way, uh, these kids are going to be prepared and they're going to be uh, really chomping at the bit to get this thing started. And this is what we love, Corey. In the next week's show, we're just getting started. We broke down around five or six games already, but we still have Notre Dame and Texas to cover. We have Oklahoma and Houston week number one. We have Texas A&M and UCLA, another three big games on next week's show. This is what it's all about, Corey. I can't wait. We're going to get it all started next week. We're just getting started with our show. This is what we love, my friend, isn't it? Hey, man, go dogs, Joe. I'm excited about it, and I wouldn't rather do it with a better guy. So I'm excited. I think we've got some great matchups, and I'm ready to go ahead and pick my sleepers, but I won't give anything away just yet. Oh, man, this is this is why we love the game. For Corey Allen, I'm Joe Lisi. Stay with us all season long on GoForTheChew.com. We had a great guest in Jerry DiNardo joining us. We have guests lined up throughout the year, throughout the summer, talking about their major programs and their programs in general. I have Anthony Davis coming on talking about Wisconsin. I have all these guys from uh, great programs coming on our show. They love college football just as much as we do. Stay with us all season long. Have a great weekend, everyone. Go dog.